0: It's the middle of Storm Agnes, early October, 2023. And this is the pier at the village of Bailanangal, or Ballydavid, on the Dingle Peninsula in County Kerry.
1: It's
0: pretty bad today. Despite the high winds and rough water, a group of women are having their morning swim.
1: Well, we do like the challenge. (laughs) Oh, my God, this is crazy.
0: This isn't the first bit of craziness to happen here. Back in the late 70s, just where the women are swimming, a huge ship called Sky Hope tied up here. It became known as a thirsty ship, and into the pier here it brought fun and tragedy. In spite of that, Sky Hope has been forgotten about by many people locally. And we were
1: only before our time, I think.
2: Although not
0: at a building a short walk up from the pier, these are the local studios for the Irish-language radio station Radio Rádionagáilteachta. This morning, the newsreader is reading out the orange weather warning for Storm Agnes. While the radio station manager, Dáiró Kineda, has taken out the logbook for 1977.
2: And if you look at October 1977... He's
0: going through it, October, looking at the news of the time. And sure enough, there's a mention of Sky Hope.
2: A little note at the end of the page on the 12th of October, 77. Maru era maud on Sky Hope. A killing on the boat, the Sky Hope.
3: Everything went wrong that could possibly go wrong. There was somebody attacked...
1: I was eight months pregnant, and I was terrified.
3: It was a comedy
4: of errors. But it was a comedy until there was a tragedy. The phone went out with them because there was loss of life.
0: The fair started simply enough one night on the first weekend of October 1977. The village of Balanangal is inside a large bay with a relatively narrow opening. Beyond that is the Atlantic Ocean. This night, a small fishing boat was tied up, its crew gone home for the evening. During the night, however, the boat broke its mooring and drifted out through the opening of the bay and out to sea.
5: Cripes almighty,
0: I'll tell you now. Paddy Mahoney owned the boat and he got a call in the morning from the service that monitors emergency radio channels, Valencia Radio.
5: And they said the boat was being picked up by a ship that was going into Limerick, but there were no survivors. So I told him not to worry about the survivors. The survivors were in bed for themselves, past asleep.
0: The ship that picked up Paddy's boat was the Skyhope, a large cargo ship, about ten times as big as Paddy's fishing boat, which it had towed behind it. It was registered in Cyprus with a crew of over 20 from around the world. Two men on the crew who would make headlines two weeks later were Mohammed and Jose. Mohammed was an Egyptian war veteran who had fought in the Arab-Israeli Six-Day War. Jose was a married man from Chile. Valencia Radio had one other piece of information for Paddy about the Skyhope.
5: They said that the captain, anyway, wanted us to buy the boat back of him.
0: The Skyhope captain was a 22 year old Englishman, Dave Potter. And when Paddy and his crew drove up to Limerick to retrieve their boat and they got to meet him, they got a surprise.
6: He had earrings and long hair and tattoos. You'd never take him as a
0: captain. This is Tom Kern, one of the fishermen who worked with Paddy.
6: And Paddy said, how much am I going to give you for the rescue of the boat? And he said, I don't want anything. He said, but give 50 pound to the crew because they had to go in and bail her out and stuff like that. So he did.
0: Once the money was handed over, the Skyhope captain opened his drinks cabinet for the visiting Kerry men.
5: And we had a great night on board. We had drinks and what have you.
0: In the course of conversation, Dave Potter mentioned that Skyhope, when it left Limerick, was on its way south, back to Britain. The Kerrymen then said that Skyhope would actually be passing their village.
6: One was said, <laughs> when you're going back, call in, we'll have a drink. If we didn't expect that he would. <laughs> but he did,
0: because a few days later... A local fisherman, Seanine Mac was out in his boat.
3: And I saw the ship.
0: It was the Skyhope.
3: But shortly afterwards, I saw another boat going back and having a conversation with him.
0: Tom Kern was one of those having the conversation with the Skyhope.
6: We went aboard them over there and they said, is there a pier here? And I said, there is, yeah, but I don't think you'll fit. This was hardly just enough for our small little boats, you know, that's all.
0: Tom soon realised his job was to persuade the captain, Dave Potter, that Skyhope was too big for their little village pier. He failed. That
6: oh, will fit alright, he says, So. The local boats,
0: like Seanine and Tom's, were just over 20 feet long. This ship was over 200 foot long.
3: And the next thing, the Skyhope decided to come across. Stopped outside the pier.
0: This pier was an old pier, just used by local fishing boats, only about 150 feet long, so not long enough for the Sky Hope. Not only that, the Sky Hope was much higher than the pier too. Padraig Frank remembers seeing the ship's size in relation to the street lights running along the pier.
4: The bow was as high as the poles for the lights.
0: Podrick Frank was a teenager back in 1977, excited to see this huge ship come into the local pier and eager to help tie it up. But he and his friend nearly got injured by doing that.
4: That actually knows the ring that was pulled off.
0: He's looking at a photo from the time and at one of the big mooring rings for fishing boats to tie up to, what happened was that, as the Skyhope approached the pier, its crew threw a rope to the two boys standing there.
4: When they threw the rope, just we put the rope through the big ring.
0: But the ship was so big, and the wind was catching it, the rope strained and pulled hard on the heavy iron ring.
4: And then we had to run because the ring started stretching and just went, bing, it broke like. <gasps> rope went back into the water, like.
0: But although the mooring line had broken free, the skyhope didn't go very far. The pier here is tidal and there wasn't enough water for the skyhope to float away.
4: She stuck and hit the bottom like, and stuck there.
3: Literally, she was longer than the pier. Her stern was halfway out and her bow was literally coming in the door here to Rita Begley's pub. Massive, a massive big bow. And she was there for a few days.
0: The skyhope captain... Dave Potter said they needed fresh water and he got a lift into the nearest town where he bought 100 foot of hose pipe which was attached to a local tap to fill Skyhope's tanks. Then, when that was done, various efforts were made to refloat the ship.
4: There were two tractors, anyway. There was a a pulley block down on the pier and high water. They didn't even budge or like. There were only two small local tractors.
0: Then they decided to use Skyhope's own anchor to pull it off the seabed.
4: Then they put an anchor with a local boat.
0: The local boat dropped Skyhope's anchor out in the bay.
4: Out from the pier.
0: And then Skyhope's crew started its winch.
4: To drag her off.
0: This was to wind in the anchor chain and try to pull the ship off the sand. That worked. They managed to pull Skyhope away from the pier and started the propeller... But then the Skyhope crew let one of its ropes catch in its propeller and it damaged it and Skyhope lost power. And it began to drift. But this time, not onto the sandy beach at the pier.
6: She went all the way back over there on the rocks and she broke the rudder and did a lot of other damage as well.
0: Skyhope was stranded. Seánine Mock remembers the reaction of the local fisherman.
3: God Almighty, what the hell is going on here? Or who's in charge of her?
0: The man in charge was the man with the long hair, tattoos and earrings. Skyhope's captain, Dave Potter.
3: Captain Potter appeared to us to be as mad as a hatter. She was get around the place running up and down. He seemed to be an Irish, a bit of a glug at it, even right in the head. He seemed to be oblivious to the dangers, to whatever. I mean, we were all born to respect the sea, and to mind our boats, and to mind whatever craft we had, which a man didn't give a care.
0: Captain Potter may not have seemed to be a great sea captain, but he did seem to be a great host. And while it was stuck on the rocks, Skyhope became a great party ship.
6: He stood a lot of drink. We ate a lot of feeds inside of her at night, time so it was grand. Tom Curran really
0: enjoyed the Skyhope's cruise company, but would he have gone to sea with them?
6: No way. <laughs> a bunch of
0: <laughs> The Skyhope didn't just host locals on board the locals returned the hospitality in the two village pubs, which were doing a roaring trade.
5: Perhaps there was cars every day coming to see the
3: boat, you know. I mean, you must imagine, most of the people had never seen a ship. So all the older generation came to have a look at this monstrosity that was down the pier. And, of course... They all ended up having their stories and telling what they thought of it inside the local pub.
0: And in the pubs, too, were members of the Skyhopes crew, exotic-looking men from places like South America, Africa and the Philippines.
5: God almighty, to see those fellas in the pub. We weren't that used to foreign people at the time. And the music...
3: God, why is it the crack that used to be going on? And we had failure with the amount of people. The village was strong with The Pierre was strong with people, day and night.
5: They'd try and meet the crew. They had a good old time while it lasted.
3: Until a tug came along from Hollyhead
0: This is Hollyhead in Wales, known for ferries to and from Ireland. Also home to Hollyhead Towing Company, which in 1977 had three young sailors working for it.
7: My name is Patrick Pritchard, engineer. Roger Jones, I was one of the
8: uh, trainee seamen. John Griffith, deckhand.
7: Six
0: days after the Skyhope had beached at the pier... Roger, John and Patrick arrived into the bay and anchored offshore. They were on a specialist salvage ship with proper equipment and powerful enough to pull Skyhope off the rocks.
9: We pulled him off, anchored him in the bay.
0: The plan was to bring Skyhope around to a shipyard in Cork Harbour, but the weather was too bad to leave the bay and go out into the Atlantic, so the two ships remained anchored and tied to each other. In the meantime, the Skyhope captain, Dave Potter, came aboard the Welsh salvage ship.
9: He came aboard for a beer, and I can remember, I have a photograph taken of our cook, Medwin Jones, looking aghast at this man.
0: The reason the Welshmen were aghast was because this captain's ship had gone aground not once, but twice, and the second time he'd damaged his propeller and broken off his rudder, thereby disabling Skyhope. And yet... Dave Potter didn't give the impression of being too worried.
8: Blase,
9: he, was, he, was, he was very blasé, didn't think it was a problem. He, he'd find, you know, there was a solution.
0: One solution Captain Potter was looking for was to the problem of salvage payments. The last thing a sea captain wants, other than shipwreck, is to be salvaged. His company was now going to have to pay the Welshmen and his company's insurance premiums were going to go up too. So his solution to this particular problem was to get away from the Welsh salvage vessel. He told his crew to cast off the line tying Skyhope to the Welsh ship. He was going to head out to sea under his own steam. The Welsh men were stunned. The Skyhope didn't stand a chance at sea.
9: With no rudder, and one anchor yeah, and, a and a damaged propeller, so they wouldn't have got far. She'd have probably ended up on the rocks anyway.
0: The Welsh ship found out what was happening and reattached the tow line more securely.
8: There's no way it could go anywhere.
0: And the two ships continued to sit, tied together, out in the bay, waiting for the weather to improve. Of course, that meant that for the crew of Skyhope, the party wasn't over and they continued to go in and out of the pubs in the village. Except for Mohammed, the Egyptian. He stayed on board the ship. Perhaps, as a Muslim, he didn't drink, although he also had mental troubles. It was said that after fighting in the Arab-Israeli six-day war, he was suffering from PTSD. One of those who did visit the pubs was the Chilean, Jose. The locals recall him as being very young-looking, but he was, in fact... This all went on for several days. The Welshmen waiting for the weather to lift. The Skyhope men in and out to the pubs. Then, on the night of October 14th, 1977, things became crazy. The Welshmen on their ship became aware that the Skyhope crew was rowdy.
9: Flares were being fired, lights were being flashed, they were singing on the radio, playing music on the VHF.
0: The emergency monitoring service at Valencia told Skyhope to stop playing music on the marine distress channels.
10: But they
9: didn't. There was clearly a party going on.
0: By 2 a.m., the Skyhope party had turned sour. The music on the distress channels had stopped and was replaced with screams.
9: From what we could gather was that there'd been a fight aboard.
0: Then someone came on the radio asking for help, saying that a man had been murdered on Skyhope. The Welsh men launched their lifeboat and went over to the Skyhope. They climbed up on board Skyhope. When they got on deck, they were met with a drunken, hysterical group who rushed them into the ship's canteen.
9: And they'd been in a little bit of trouble, <laughs> like, putting it mildly.
0: Roger was just 20, and this was his first trip. What he was about to see was something a more experienced sailor might not witness in a lifetime at sea.
8: The accommodation looked like a butcher shop.
0: The first thing they noticed was the blood.
8: Yeah, it was a, a bit of a bloodbath.
0: In the canteen, there were two men at the table. Mohammed, the Egyptian war veteran, and José, the married man from Chile. Mohammed was tied to the table.
8: He'd flipped his lid, for want of a better word, and he'd buried a meat cleaver in the cook's head.
0: José was sitting there, quietly, holding a tea towel to the top of his head.
8: He was bleeding profusely, as you can imagine, very, very dazed and not with it. Um, he did try saying something to me in his own language, which I didn't understand, uh, but the only phrase he said in English was, I forgive him.
0: One of the Welsh men went over and lifted the tea towel.
8: John nearly threw
9: up and okay. said, you need to look at this.
8: Jose's skull was split open. Brain sticking out, everything. Sticking
9: out... His head was cleaved open, basically, and you could see the brain, and it was bleeding, and we put a tea towel on the end of it. That's all you could do at the time.
0: Someone said there was an argument over a game of cards, and Mohammed had lost it and become violent.
9: There was madness going on everywhere, but this guy was just sitting in the middle, <coughs> completely calm, with a towel, on his, towel on his head. Clearly, now, I know that that was shock, but he, he was just sitting there and he just seemed to be. It, it was almost like he was a central figure in a in a mad play. Everybody else was going nuts, and he was just sitting quite calmly in the middle.
0: Mohammed? The attacker had his own injuries.
9: He had a hole from one cheek to the next, where when we spoke to the crew as to how that had happened, one of the crew had seen him hit the guy with the cleaver, had gone outside, just found a crowbar, and just smashed it into his face to try and calm him down, and the crowbar had gone through one cheek and out the other.
0: The man with the crowbar was Captain Dave Potter, but he was now nowhere to be seen. In searching for him, the Welshmen looked into his cabin.
8: His cabin was just unrecognisable. It was just matchwood. Everything was smashed to bits.
0: The Welshmen took a decision to get the injured Jose and his attacker, Mohammed, off Skyhope. Jose to hospital and Mohammed to the guards.
8: Mohammed, the Egyptian, we released him from the table, by which time he'd calmed down somewhat.
0: They got a stretcher for Muhammad and tied him into it in case he became agitated again. Then they got both of them outside and eased them down into their lifeboat. The lifeboat was more than big enough for the stretcher and the casualty. It was 30 feet long.
7: Anyway, they came down the ladder.
9: There was a mad rush off the deck and these people just started to come down.
0: Some of the Skyhope crew came charging over the side and down into the lifeboat. They weren't going to stay on board Skyhope anymore.
9: Originally, it was only supposed to be our boat's crew, which was the five, and it was only supposed to be seven of us in the boat.
0: The Welshmen had no choice; they had to set off for the village with their casualty. But they weren't finished taking on crew from Skyhope as they went around the front of Skyhope under the tow rope, tying it to their ship. From above them, they heard something.
8: Yelling and screaming, and there was the master. He'd actually ran to the bows of the ship and gone over the bow.
0: The Skyhope captain, Dave Potter, was sitting
8: on the tow rope. Like a swing. This fella started screaming and shouting. We've put a torch up and he's sitting there swinging.
0: So they maneuvered the lifeboat underneath him.
8: And he dropped into the the boat. And the first thing he did when he stood up, he saw Mohammed, who was in the stretcher, unable to move. And he just pounced on him and started pummeling him. And myself and another guy dragged him off.
0: There was chaos on the lifeboat. People were hysterical, still drunk, arguing amongst themselves. The attacker, Mohammed, was now untied from the stretcher. The Skyhope crew were clustered at the front of
8: the lifeboat, and we were in open water with a heavy swell, which unfortunately was right on the nose. Their weight was pushing the front down into the water. That's when she started to take on water. Anyway, the next
7: thing they we're filling up with water.
0: And then one big wave hit.
7: And
8: over we went.
0: Eleven people were now in the water. And then John realised that one of his Welsh colleagues couldn't be seen anywhere.
9: Pat was missing. I've got to find Pat. I looked round, there was no signs of any splashes.
0: When the lifeboat turned over, all the others were thrown out into the sea, but it turned over on top of Pat.
7: Because I wasn't quick enough to get out. He
0: was underneath the upturned hull, breathing in a few inches of air trapped under there.
7: It was scary, dark... Small pocket of air, you know, and he thought this is it, you know. John dived down
0: under the boat to get him out.
7: He had his chin in the water breathing, and
9: I said, You know, we've got to get out of here. And he said, No, I know I'm, 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 I'm okay.
0: Pat didn't want to be rescued by John. He thought he was facing death and didn't want to fight it.
7: I thought the boat was going to sink. So I thought, this is it, what's the point, you know, getting out? I thought, the boat was full of water. I'm thinking, well, this is going to go now, you know, this is the end.
0: John knew that Pat had a wife and small son back in Wales and thought of them as he insisted Pat go with him.
9: And then when I said to him, if you continue to breathe, the water's going to rise, you're going to drown, that's when I grabbed him and we pulled, I pulled him out. shade,
7: yeah.
0: Pat agreed to swim out from under the boat and he and John clambered up onto the upturned hull. It was
9: October. October. It was the Atlantic, so it was cold. It
7: was just horrendous.
0: Eventually, everyone was pulled up onto the upside-down lifeboat. Eleven sailors. At the back, John was cradling the Chilean man with a wound in his head. At the other end, the man who made the wound, the agitated Egyptian man, Mohammed. He was sitting crouched down at the front of the upturned lifeboat. In between, everyone else, clinging to a hull that was just four inches high out of the water and being constantly washed by waves.
8: And knocking everybody off. Mm. So everybody was getting completely worn out because you had to fight your way to get back on the boat, you know. Oh, yeah.
0: They had no emergency radio, no flares, just a torch. The Welshmen's colleagues on their ship had no idea where they were in the water.
7: There was a big searchlight and the bulb had gone and they didn't have a spare bulb. So we were sure if they had that searchlight, we could have picked us up on the searchlight. So we, we were black.
0: Thankfully, someone from the Welsh ship realised what was going on and they launched another boat to go and help them. This was a small rubber dinghy with an outboard motor and two men on board. A smaller man standing at the front and a larger, heavier man at the back crouched over the outboard engine.
8: So he came alongside us, Save you. Unfortunately, them not knowing the situation, they approached the lifeboat to the bow.
0: On the bow or front of the upturned lifeboat was Muhammad, hunkered down. The two men in the rubber rescue boat had no idea about this man that they were approaching. They didn't know that he'd already had a violent outburst and hit one of his shipmates with a meat cleaver.
8: And once the boat was near enough, he literally launched himself at the rubber boat.
0: When he launched
8: himself into the rubber dinghy, Mohammed
0: bumped into the man standing in front...
8: ..who stumbled backwards...
0: ..and fell against the man at the back. The man at the back was heavy and he fell on top of the small outboard motor. His weight pushed it down under the water. And plop,
8: he dunked it and that killed the engine.
0: With its engine waterlogged, the rubber boat had no power and was carried away by the wind and the waves.
7: We were screaming and shouting, you know, come back, you know.
0: Now the rescuers were gone, themselves needing rescue.
7: So he was, goodbye, and we were still stuck there.
0: Everyone was still clinging to the lifeboat, and Jose, the Chilean man with the open wound in his skull, was lying in John's arms, still holding on to life.
9: My concern for him was that he had the thing on his head and he was going to be weak, so I held him in my arms, just monitoring him, I was talking to him, he wasn't making much sense.
0: It was now a quarter to three in the morning there were 13 sailors in danger, either at risk of being blown onto the rocks or out into the Atlantic. The Welshmen's crewmates on their ship didn't have any other small boats to launch and they were still anchored and tied to Skyhope. So they sent a message to the emergency services through Valencia Radio, asking for help. That message was relayed to the Gordi, who woke Gordae Tim Collins, who lived about 14 kilometres away from the village.
10: Now, I was in Dingle. The local guards from Ballyfurter were there and the traffic corps came out from Tralee because they'd have a car full of guards floating around.
7: So they came to the rescue as well. We could see the police cars going up and down, blue lights, lights going up and down the, the road on the coast and you're thinking, I wonder what they're doing. You know, you know, are they coming to rescue it?
10: There was a guard, Joe Curran, he was at the scene. See, communications
11: were... Poor at that time, radio communications they weren't there, so you were relying on phone calls.
0: Even with phone calls, though, the rescuers on shore
9: were helpless. From what I can gather, the Valencia lifeboat wouldn't launch because of the weather, and at the time, the Irish Air co didn't have night capability.
0: The Welshmen on the upturned lifeboat, though, still had a torch, which they kept on and pointed towards any potential rescuers. They also talked about how they might save themselves.
7: Roger said, I can swim, he said, to, to that cliff there. I said, I shouldn't go there if I was you, you'd better stay one piece on here. If you start swimming, you're gonna get tired, and usually down the headlands is a bit tired and they running around. I said, you'd better stay here, so he stayed there, you know. The swell coming into the bay at the time was about a metre and a half.
9: And it was pulling us, us out, point, so yeah. we were heading towards the Blaskets. And when Roger said he'd swim, if Roger had gone, he'd have died.
0: It was three hours after the lifeboat first turned over. And even though it was the wrong way up and had ten people hanging onto the hull, it had drifted over a mile out into the bay. The rubber dinghy, which was lighter and still right side up, was a mile further out again. It looked like they were both heading out into the open sea
9: either onto the baskets or we'd have rounded out and just gone out into the Atlantic. And that's a big ocean. That's a big ocean,
7: yeah.
0: John Griffiths, the young Welsh sailor, had another, more pressing concern on the hull of the boat. He was cradling the injured sailor from Chile, Jose. John was about to get a life lesson few other 20-year-olds receive. Up to now, Jose had kept up a constant stream of talk.
9: And then he just suddenly stopped. John looked to one of the senior Welsh officers and said what do I do? And he came and he felt his neck, looked for a pulse leant forward and just said he's not breathing and I said okay and he said he's dead and I said right and he said we're going to have to put the body over the side and I said no you're not You're not because I thought what Alan was going to do was throw the body to one side and that was it but what he did was Alan tied his leg so that the body drifted behind the boat. So I was sat looking at the body of this guy as he floated there and it was pretty bad and I was 20. I just felt lost really. But also I remember going through my head of thinking about my mum and my dad, and thinking, you know, all the girlfriends I'd had, and thinking, you know, all that's gone now. It's and I'm going to die. But it was a very calm feeling that I was going to die because it looked at your situation. You saw the, the foam breaking on the rocks, which was really quite high. I'm thinking, if we get in amongst that lot, that's it, we're dead. End of.
0: Back on shore, in the absence of the Valencia lifeboat or Air Corps helicopter, the Gordie decided to get the help of local fishermen.
11: Malcolm Foster and David Stokes, they were two Englishmen. They were fishing out of Belly David.
0: Malcolm Foster's Danish wife, Birthe, remembers the call coming through to them from the guards at 20 to 6 that morning.
1: I was eight months pregnant and I was terrified that he should go out there. But I understood him. He said, it is my duty to do it. There are people who is needing me out there. There were 13 people out there who needed him. So he went up, got some clothes on, And he called David Stokes.
0: Malcolm and David headed down to the pier and on the way they met Billy Granville, a hotelier. He'd been woken by the commotion at the pier and he decided to get up and investigate. All three then got into Malcolm's fishing boat and headed out to try and find the sailors from the Welsh ship and the Skyhope.
11: There's a rock there beyond the mouth of the harbour called the Black Rock they came across the overturned boat.
0: Over 40 years after the Skyhope disaster, the Welshmen are quite matter-of-fact and factual when they talk about it, until one of them, Roger, takes out a school copybook.
8: Uh, It's my diary which started on the 8th of October 1977.
0: And as he reads about the moment they saw Malcolm Foster's fishing boat coming towards them, he's reminded of how terrified his 20-year-old self had been sitting out in the bay.
8: Some time later, someone saw another light coming from inside the bay. It's a boat, shouted someone, but it did not turn to look because we had seen so many lights, which were shore lights. <coughs> this time, though, it was a boat, and as he drew clearer, everyone started cheering and shouting. <sighs> on, man. Yeah?
7: Yeah. Uh,
8: the next thing the boat was alongside through the line
0: After four hours drifting out in the bay clinging on to the lifeboat being washed off and clambering on again and waiting and waiting for help to come the rescue by the fishermen was swift
9: and brusque they came up, and the first thing I remember was just getting grabbed from the back of the neck and pulled aboard this fishing boat by these two guys, and he did that with all of us. That's Hands
8: like shovels, man, yeah. honest to God. That's... Literally, the way he dragged us out of that boat was like pulling salmon out of a net. He just got all of the back of your shirt or whatever he could, and whoosh, you were over. Yeah. And he did that with all of us. The yeah, yeah, so... mass of bodies all flapping around. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. unbelievable. They saved our lives.
0: Malcolm Foster and his crew lifted Jose's body out of the water and laid it reverentially on the deck of the fishing boat. Then they went farther out and found the other three men in the rubber dinghy, took it in tow and headed back to the pier.
8: And we reached the pier at Bally David about half past eight. We could hardly walk. My legs and feet were numb. Uh, police everywhere.
7: It must have been about 12 policemen there, wasn't it? Yeah. They were all waiting for us. I think, and they didn't know what was going on and they were thinking of arresting us all. We were all suspects. The Gardy sergeant was named Tim Collins. They
10: were dishevelled and ragged and bearded and, you know, they were a pretty motley group now. And as far as I can gather, very few were English. So that presented a fierce problem in the investigation, you know.
0: (laughs) The guards faced confusion. Which of the men were the crew of the Skyhope? Which were the crew of the Welsh ship? Who had hit the Chilean man in the head with a meat cleaver? And who had driven a crowbar through the cheeks of the Egyptian man?
10: There were so many there going and coming, I couldn't differentiate who were the Wiltshire, who were the, uh, the foreigners. <laughs> they were all foreigners to me at the time.
8: Jose and Mohammed were put into an ambulance and the rest of us were taken to Dingle Hospital in the squad cars. <laughs> well, the nearest hospital was run by Catholic sisters.
10: Well, there was nuns there at that time, yes. I think there was a sister, Columba a very domineering person. But she ran the show, like you know, and she ran it her way. <laughs> In the old days, to restore your
9: blood circulation, they they strip you naked and you'd go from a hot bath into a cold bath, from a hot bath to, And that was by sisters, and I'm 20 years old, I'm getting handled by two Catholic sisters and you're getting thrown from one
8: bath. I remember the performance because yeah. I refused to get undressed. <laughs> and the simple reason why was because my grandfather had been at sea all his life and my mother gave me a pair of ladies' tights. Oh, yeah. And she said, when you go to work on deck, put these on under your overalls because they surprisingly keep you warm. Mm. And, of course, I didn't want to get undressed because I had a pair of ladies frigging tights on. Yeah. And I still remember to this day arguing with this nun. about I, know I was going to take my trousers off. Yeah. Yeah. But I had to in the end. I mean, I, I, I couldn't even stand up properly. No. So they took my trousers off and I remember a couple of nuns giggling going down the hall. She's got ladies tights on. What the hell they thought, I don't know. <laughs> Meanwhile,
0: back at the village, the locals were catching up on the night's events
5: and then the following morning had helicopters flying around the place and squad cars and what have you.
0: Sianeen Mac fishing boat was engaged by the authorities.
3: Would I bring over the guardee and the forensic who came down from Dublin with their briefcases? So I know there's eight guards or detectives I brought across in my boat to the skyhole tied up beside her. boarding ladder was set down. And we clambered aboard anyway and went into the galley. And all I remember
11: was the galley was
3: full of spatters of blood. There was blood
11: everywhere.
0: the Joe Kern was one of those assigned to the Skyhope that day.
11: It was dirty and blood all over the place. And it wasn't a nice place to be at the time anyway. It was at the time that your man was assaulted and the cause of death wasn't known. So they just to preserve the scene.
0: An inquest was about to take place into the death of the Chilean sailor, Jose, but back in Dingle, at the hospital where the Welshmen were, one of the staff had already decided who had killed the Chilean. She'd been treating the Egyptian sailor, Mohammed, upstairs in a room on his own. She'd seen the wounds from the crowbar in his cheeks and was aware of his agitated mental state. She came downstairs and burst into the room where the Welshmen were being kept.
7: You murderous you're murderous, you lot. I said, Well, no, yeah. saved, we've saved them. That man up there is a gentleman, he's a lovely man. Well, Hit the other Mohammed fellow with the cleaver, Egypt. yeah. the Egyptian. He's, he, he's a lovely man. You, you, you... He
2: charmed him, not you? Yeah, he charmed
7: him. Yeah. He was a charmer. Yeah, he was kept in a separate room from us, so they must have had an inkling he was bad, really. Well, wasn't I,
9: it? I think the police, I think they had an idea that he yeah. was to do with what happened
0: or that Tim Collins was part of the investigation into Jose's death. The Egyptian, Muhammad, he found out was Muhammad Goma.
10: I don't think he had a whole lot of English, actually. The Chilean, he was, you could say, murdered by the Egyptian fellow.
0: But at the inquest a few days later, the state pathologist didn't agree. He testified that froth had exuded from Jose's mouth and nose, strong evidence that death was due to drowning. The pathologist went on to say that there was no evidence that the head injury had contributed to his death. The coroner advised the jury to return a verdict of accidental drowning,
10: which they did. I I don't know, it's hard to figure it out, like, you know, but it's resulted in that there was no prosecution against the Egyptian, and the Egyptian then was finally deported.
0: The Chilean's full name was José Manuel Meado Alarcón. His body was taken to Shannon Airport, where a mass was said for him, before it was flown to Valparaiso in Chile, where he had been married with two children. The Welshmen themselves returned home and after a break from the sea, went back to ships. The crew of the Skyhope dispersed. Captain Dave Potter got himself another ship.
8: My dad sort of carried on being at sea. This is Dave Potter's son, Stephen, Stephen. He was well-known for his work as a captain and that. He could control the ship and that, and he bought and sold ships. and It's just one of them things. He always thought he could do everything with Dad. He'd have a go at everything.
0: Dave Potter died in May 2023. He was 68. Five months after the Skyhope disaster, in March 1978, the three rescuers in the fishing boat were awarded bravery medals. Malcolm Foster, Dave Stokes and Billy Granville. All three men have since died. But Malcolm Foster actually refused to accept his medal. His widow, Beerta.
1: At that time he got angry because that was no reason to give me a medal, he said. You know, anybody should have done the same.
0: Malcolm and Beerta moved to rural Denmark. One day she got a call from the Irish embassy in Copenhagen. They told her that if she managed to get Malcolm to the embassy, they'd have a surprise medal ceremony for him.
1: And we did. And I tell you, we had the most fantastic day at the embassy. Even the ambassador got a little bit drunk. <laughs> oh, it was it was really a party we made.
0: A week after José Meado died, Skyhope died too. In the edition of the Cork Evening Echo for October 21st, 1977, there's a small line in the shipping news section. It reads... Arrivals, Valley David, Skyhope, for repairs. But it wasn't for repairs. Skyhope was actually broken up for scrap. The name Skyhope lived on in West Kerry in horse racing and poetry. Paddy Mahoney, the man whose fishing boat first broke free and was picked up by Skyhope, said that there was a racehorse named Skyhope. It didn't do very well.
5: Uh, he, you know, we used to have our own local races. I think he won one or two of those races. That was about it.
0: And the manager of the radio station, Daro Kineide, recalls a poem written by a local school teacher, Kivino Kineide. It's entitled Sky Hope. It talks about a huge ship coming in from the Black Rock, Up and deck were men, yellow and white. Both Skyhope and its crew were thirsty. The ship drank from a local well, the men from a local
2: pub.